Hello and welcome to episode 16 of series 4 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Welcome to this episode. I just wanted to make you aware at the beginning, actually, of an event that's happening in September 2023. On the 13th and 14th of September in London, there is an event that you may be interested in. It's an employee experience conference. Um, there's a lot of fantastic speakers really taken by the, the quality of the speakers. So first of all, Stephen Fry is the keynote speaker, actor, broadcaster and comedian. He's going to be kicking the conference off. But then also there's some amazing professionals from the world of employee engagement and internal communications. So people from Kurtzner, people from the National Grid in the UK, WSP, Pearson, Holland and Barrett, uh, all presenting and talking about their expertise which uh, I think you know rarely do you see such a high quality range of speakers the event is also available online as well so you can sign up for it in person or online so I'm going to put the details of this into the show notes for this episode you can find it if you go to it's unily.com backslash unite so that's unily.com u-n-i-l-y.com backslash unite u-n-i-t-e but i'll put a link to that into the show notes um one of the reasons i'm uh, i'm i'm kind of talking about this as well is that the i i reached out to the event organizers and they very kindly offered a 25 percent discount code so if you're interested in this event you can go to their to the website that i've just given you uh, or, the, or that you find it in the show notes and you can register and if you use the, the code craigs that's c-r-a-i-g-s no apologies apostrophe after G between G and S Craig's you will get a 25% discount both on the online and the in-person event so I'm going to be there uh, I'm also going to be looking to do some recording for the show so talk, trying to talk to some of these uh, people who I've just mentioned so and it's a it's a full-on event 7 a.m on the uh, first day all the way through to an evening event on the final day so you real value for money there so uh, I thought you'd make you aware of that and let you know that I'm going to be there I'm going to be reporting back uh, from it i'm going to be recording some interviews with some of the the uh, the people there and i'll be you'll be able to listen to that but if you want to attend uh, you've got the details there i'll put them into the show notes and i'll also put that that uh, discount 25 percent discount code in there for you if you are interested okay so that's taken up a bit of time so really quickly what we've got coming up in the next couple of episodes uh, next episode on the 15th of august i've got an interview with jen o'ryan from double tall consulting jen is going to be telling us all about the importance of inclusive diversity and representation and the language that we use in our internal communications and how we can avoid any any um inadvertent uh, discriminatory or anti-diverse uh, language in the in the in the in the wording that we use in our internal communications and that's that's a lot, a lot often a lot more subtle than we we uh, we think and then the, the week after that or sorry two weeks after that on the 29th of august i've got a fantastic interview with kerry ann stimpson kerry ann is from jmmb group in jamaica which is a financial services company and uh, uh, 
Kerry-Ann is going to be telling us all about how employee engagement and brand advocacy work together. Uh, it's a brilliant interview, not only the fact that uh, Kerry-Ann recorded this at 3am in the morning Jamaican time, but actually she's got some fantastic ideas about uh, how we can help our employees to be advocates for our company through their own communications, their own social media representations. So I think you'll find that a really interesting interview, which is going out on the 29th of August. Anyway, very long introduction. Sorry, but uh, hopefully the the uh, the event at the beginning is of interest to you. And as I say, if you look in the show notes, you can find some more information about that. And when I'm referring to the show notes, by the way, actually, I keep meaning to say this. I'm referring to the show notes that are on our website version of the podcast. So if you go to um, engagingic.com and find this episode there, not, not necessarily through iTunes, you will see in the show notes um, all of these links and links to uh, the, the the speaker and any, any, uh, any of the uh, links that I mentioned in today's interview as well anyway sorry for the long intro hope you enjoy this episode's interview unsurprisingly a topic that we've covered on the show before is around employee engagement we are after all engaging internal comms um, and we've we've talked about this on a number of episodes but it's such a wide-ranging topic that i still think there's many areas we've still yet to explore one of the areas i wanted to explore in in more detail was this whole idea of employee engagement as an investment i think often sometimes people see uh, anything to do with 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 engagement or in some in some cases human resource initiatives is a bit of a bit of a luxury, a bit of an expensive thing, a bit of a discretionary spend. But actually, there are some hard metrics that back up uh, the need for engagement within organisations. And I guess as employee engagers and internal communicators, we kind of get that already. We're already sold on that. But sometimes it's difficult to make that business case. So I wanted to spend a little bit more time digging into that and really understanding, you know, how do we how do we build a, a program of of employee engagement if we don't have one, and how do we strengthen whatever we have, and how do we build that business case around that? So um, we're defining engagement here as employees who are healthy, happy, and productive, and feel that sense of belonging within the organisation. So we're going to be looking into the costs of that for our organisations, both tangible and intangible, and also within within the context of of the current job market. I think most clients that I speak to, most organizations I speak to, are finding it more and more difficult to to recruit and retain talent at the moment. There's higher turnover, some jobs, some job roles are much more difficult to fill at the moment due to uh, a shortage of particular skills within the job market. But also, once we've got people in, it's about retaining them, but also making sure that, that they continue to grow and develop as well within, within our organization. And a low engagement culture can make that even more more difficult, which I guess is, again, is something that we're all familiar with. So that's what I'm looking at today in today's interview. We're going to be exploring the whole case around investing in employee engagement, but also give you some practical ideas, some tools that are linked to that uh, with a, a speaker, with a guest who has lots of experience in that area and has come from a, an interesting career background themselves. So I hope you find this an inspiring and useful interview. My guest today is Paul Taval. Paul is an organisational expert with experience as a lawyer in the field of social security and employment law. Paul first saw the first saw the first hand the ways that social security failed human beings, and he was surprised to learn that despite millions of pounds and dollars and euros being spent to support people when, when they become ill or disabled, nothing was invested to keep people employable or engaged when they were well. Twenty-two years ago, Paul left the legal side. Leading with his core values, Paul now delivers consulting engagements that help companies to identify and truly live their own values. 
He shows companies that when they see their every employee's full potential, absentee, absenteeism decreases, and while enthusiasm and productivity increases. So, hello, Paul. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you on the show. And for our listeners, where are you based, Paul? I'm based in the Netherlands. Which part of the Netherlands are you in? Uh, I'm in the eastern part, so I'm away one and a half hour from Amsterdam. Okay, okay, fantastic. So I gave a, I gave a bit of an introduction there, which I lifted from your your bio, and and it's as in that I was you 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 sort of identified that you you worked in the legal side of business, yeah. and then you've now moved into this area of employee engagement. So if you can, if you give us a sort of little potted story of how you ended up making that shift, I think that'd be quite interesting, Paul. Yeah, well. Um, uh, I, I started as, as a lawyer in social security, as you said, and what you normally see is that you are then defending organizations who pay allowances for social security. So you're dealing with people who are unemployed, who are disabled, who can't work for what uh, reason, and you're always in an argument with another lawyer, and you're, you're not talking about human beings. It's a case, yeah. And and over the years, I I thought this is this is not the way to do it, um, because we are talking about human resources. We're not talking about human beings. And in my old job, I was looking at human resources who were ill, unemployed, that kind of stuff. And I thought it it should be better. And that's based on positive psychology. If we look at the front end that we look at people when they are keen, when they're um, able to work, when they are engaged, when they are well, that we take care of them then, mm. ask the question, how can we improve your situation instead of waiting that they get ill, unemployed or whatsoever? So it took me some time and that had to do with the labor market and economics uh, as well. And then in 1998, uh, I got the first request from one of the biggest uh, supermarkets in, in the Netherlands to, to have a look how sick leave was organized and how they could do prevention. And then I thought we're busy on the backside with big industry on how to make people who are ill better reintegrate them. But I didn't see any business on that front side. And I was surprised. Uh, we weren't paying money for well-being, mm. only for sick leave. Yeah. And that's strange. So that that's why I started investigating, uh, reading a lot of books, uh, talking to professors who are specialists on positive psychology and positive health, um, then decided to change our business as Team Andare into that front part instead of being busy with people who are no longer part of the community. Mm, mm, mm. And what do you, and I gave a little, alluded to a little bit about what you're doing now. I mean, what, what specifically are you doing with organizations? I know you said you're working with some big organizations and you're doing. I know you do public speaking and a lot of yeah. engagements. Well, what are the sort of things you're doing sort of to, to help organizations at the moment? Um, 
what we do is we we get in an organization and of course we measure what's what's going on 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 sick leave on uh, attrition on that kind of side because those are signals that something isn't right uh, within that organization. So we do a culture scan or DNA scan of an organization. We talk with a lot of people from CEO to people who are the real professionals. And for me, professionals are the ones who are doing the real job, yeah. earning the money. And, and we ask the question, why are you working here? And it's quite easy if you ask that question. People will tell you the truth. Yeah. And and then you know, hey, why are you working here? Is it giving some satisfaction? Is it giving work happiness? Uh, that kind of stuff. Or are you disengaged or satisfied, which most people are? Uh, most people, if you look at Gallup, they, they say 70% of the employees are not really engaged. And we call it satisfied. So they come in time, they leave in time, they're happy when they get the money in time, and and that's about it. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't find that extra energy to be more engaged. And that's what we look at. Uh, so it's a lot of talking. Sometimes we use some uh, tools that uh, with one of those we can measure the engagement or disengagement. Uh, some are on an iPhone, some you can use uh, on a computer. And then we try to find out what the signals are, um, which we can turn. So we are really looking, how can we help those people and with them, their organization to have more engagement and to have more productivity. Mm. Okay, excellent. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think I, when we spoke originally, I, I mentioned to you that you know I used to work in a manufacturing environment, and the idea of preventative maintenance with machines yeah. was quite common. And I guess uh, you know, in a very crude analogy, that's what we're talking about here. It, it's kind of how do we, how do we, you know, wait, not wait until our, our people get to the point of of, of breaking, but but yeah. you know, we we're kind of tending to. I mean, what are some of the reasons do you think that organisations do that? Because it, it, you know, my my experience with organisations is, you know, they're not then. There's, it's not a malevolent thing they, they, you know that it's genuinely the people in organizations at senior level from my experience are trying to do the best they can it's just often through you know lack of lack of awareness maybe mis misguided priorities why why is it do you think that organizations tend to neglect this sort of, sort of stuff what's your experience around that well what what i see is that the focus is most of the time on money on profitability especially when you have uh, shareholders uh, who have a fix on EBITDA, on, on the money side. Uh, and for a long time, if somebody was ill or uh, couldn't handle the situation, we fired them and we could hire somebody new. Yeah. Um, not in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, it's quite difficult to mm. fire uh, a person that isn't fitting anymore. But the demographic situation is changing mm. and the wall is turning the ship now because normally we said, oh, how many human resources do we have? And we, we had full-time equivalents and we were looking outside and we saw that enough people were waiting, standing in line to come and work for our organization. And that's completely changed. Mm. 
the demographics are so different than five and uh, especially 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of um, companies want to hire good qualified people but can't find them or yeah. are going to pay an awful lot of money. So suddenly we look inside and instead of looking at the people on the outside, we say, how can we support our own employees to have less sick leave, to uh, have more productivity, to be more effective? And suddenly, uh, well-being becomes a, a hot item. And some people call it happiness. Um, some people call it work pleasure. I don't mind. For me, it's you have a lot of energy in your body when you start working and when you go home. Most of the time, you have more energy. And then you're engaged. And that's, for me, work pleasure, work happiness. Uh, and that's what we need. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, I think, and um, you know, I know we've got listeners all over the world, but I think in most markets, um, there's a real, real struggle to attract talent and retain talent, and and uh, and that when they arrive, that those people are more ex have higher expectations than maybe yeah. they did a few years ago of, of what good looks like from a career perspective and what they want yeah. to get out of their work. Uh, yeah, what what, yeah. what you see at, at this moment, that mm. a lot of people who are really talented and come in an organization are, and aren't taken care of in the onboarding procedure, they leave within two months. Yeah. So that's about 25% of the people coming in an organization leave within two months. Yeah. And that's that's a loss that you can never cure. Yeah, yeah, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was going to go on to ask you about what what are the signs when you know employees aren't aren't satisfied, and I mean that's one of them. Obviously, turnover, uh, and obviously, you know, we're talking here about satisfaction in terms of being healthy, happy, and productive. Yeah. What, what are what are the warning signs? And, and I guess I look, I got a lot of them are kind of fairly, you know obvious uh, to a certain extent but others may be more subtle what what are some of the things that you'd be looking for or you'd be asking a client to talk about when you know they think they've got an issue with this um what, what are some of the kind of warning signs for you warning signs are especially that uh, you see a lot of people uh have presenteeism so hmm. i'm at work but i'm not really productive you see people making more mistakes than they did before. Mm. Um, you see uh, complaints coming in from colleagues or clients who say, well, this wasn't a nice conversation we had. You see more conflicts. Yeah. Uh, and most conflicts are between a manager or a leader and an employee. Uh, that kind of signs, uh, and sick leave is one of course, and especially in the Netherlands where we have the great situation that an employer pays two years the salary of somebody who is ill and can't work. Um, so we can measure much better what's going on within that organization. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what we're looking for. And we look, one of the examples is that we look at people, the percentage of people in an organization that never call in sick. Mm. And we call it the zero percentage. Okay. Um, if that's more than 60%, then it means that they, those people are happy at work. They love what they are doing. So the higher that number of zero percent sick leave, 
the better it is for your organization. Yeah. And I can tell you, most organizations have no clue. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting metric to use that, and 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 you, so just to be clear there, what you're saying is that is a that because you mentioned presenteeism in the same yeah. in the same that that it wouldn't be a it, we're looking at at, at, at non absence people who don't take sick leave not from a kind of perspective of you know they feel if they took any time off sick they would be in threat of losing their job or, or would be yeah. in, in some trouble it's it's it, that is a positive indicator that people are engaged and and not we in the uk we talk about swinging the lead you know kind of yeah. taking sick days when they you know they're fed up and they just want a day off because they've got run out of holidays and and they can't yeah. be bothered yeah yeah, and yeah. I, I must say uh, talking about uh, the uk i see in the uk much better well-being program and employee benefits program than in the netherlands so That's in interesting. the netherlands we're starting well we had so much focus on two years paying for sick leave Right. That we weren't paying attention on prevention and mm. amplifying employees, which is a new word in, in the Netherlands that we look for amplifying uh, the well-being of, of people. And then I found out by companies like Mercer and Howden that in the UK, you're way ahead of the Netherlands. So I'm copying now programs that in the UK are well-known. Hmm. and try to implement that in the Netherlands. Um, you have a lot of great tools like Engagement Multiplier, hmm. which you can use to multiply the positive effects of engagement. Yeah, yeah. And those tools are what we are using. You, you don't measure engagement once every two or three years. You measure it all the time, two times, three times a week, three questions and you move on, and then after 26 weeks, we know exactly who is engaged and who is disengaged. Yeah, 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 ab absolutely. And I'm a great believer in, you know, finding what's working and amplifying that yeah. rather than looking for what's not working and, and stressing about it. It's much, much more, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. It's a much more productive way of doing things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the co cost, you've alluded to, you know, obviously the cost of um, recruiting and continuously, continuously having to recruit and fill places when pe there is a higher turnover, yeah. and obviously absenteeism is is a challenge. What what, what, are, what are some of the other costs that organisations, you know, if you're trying to make a business case for this, because often, you know, you'll get senior people who will either see this as a as a legal compliance issue that they need yeah. to do so they can stay out of you know court uh, from a kind of duty of care perspective and some will see it as a you know a kind of warm and fluffy thing that they do yeah. to placate their employees but you know the hardline business facts for those who could kind of need to see the numbers what what, what are some of those costs paul that well, we're sometimes the, masking the turnover for an average employee if if one leaves and another comes in mm. is a year salary yeah. And I spoke with an organization last week and they were using 1.5 times the year salary. Um, I heard Oxford Economics talk about uh, two to three times the year salary on turnover. So if one person leaves because mm. he's not happy at work, his engagement goes down, but productivity as well. And during those last couple of months before they leave, productivity is about 40 percent mm. then they say i'm leaving then you need to hire new people 
And if you find somebody within a reasonable time, you will need another four or five months to get them to the same level where the old one was. So I think it's quite good to have one year salary as um, a business case. And for sick leave, it's quite easy. Everybody who is at home not productive costs you 400 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Per day. Yeah. So in a week time, that's 2,000 pounds in six weeks. That's an awful lot of money. Mm. Uh, So we need to look at those figures, even if you're not paying people when they are uh, on sick leave, Mm. they still, you miss that productivity that they had. Yeah. So whether it's money you're paying or productivity of a combination of both, you will miss those people. Otherwise, you wouldn't have them as employee. Mm. So something is missing when they are not there. Um, I did this uh, with the examples of um, uh, of Oxford. And if you put one pound in prevention and amplification, you will earn four pounds. Mm. So one euro investing in the well-being of employees will give you four pounds. Well, that's quite a nice business case, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and in terms of, and we, we kind of touched on this and maybe we didn't finish it off properly, you know, the, in terms of the current job market and the amount of turnover, I know in the UK, particularly in, you know, kind of sectors like logistics for drivers and, and yeah. you know, the, the salaries have gone through the roof because, you know, supply is far... In, in, you know, in lower than than demand. There's and there's much yeah. more people wanted than actually out there. And you know, obviously, it's this this is not a new phenomenon that we've seen in the past. You know, peaks in in you know, kind of in the UK, the the running story a few years ago was plumbers. There were no plumbers, so everybody was going then into going to training into be plumbers, and then then there was a suddenly a, a, an excess of those people, and you know, the kind of the, the kind of foxes and. Yeah. Uh, has a sort of uh, analogy of, of supply and demand. W- what are your take? What's your take? Both nece- not necessarily just on quantity, uh, but also in terms of quality, in terms of expectations, and you know the kind of current generational gaps that people talk about in terms of what employees want from work now, and are they satisfied with you know just going where somewhere where they can make loads of money and climb the greasy pole as quickly as possible? Yeah. I, I think if we look at um, generation Y and Z, and especially Z, they have totally different expectations from work. Mm. Um, I read an article this morning that was published by Harvard on the enormous gap that especially management, and they are most of the time generation X, Mm. so the oldies, see what the youngsters want and they can't communicate. Yeah. So if if you are a manager of 50, 55 years old, you're still looking at money, at uh, ego, at status, and that kind of stuff. People from Generation X are looking for purpose. They are looking for the core values of the organization. Um, I had a discussion. I do trainings on this kind of stuff last Friday. Yeah. Um, somebody said, uh, yeah, some young bloke came in and asked what our core values are, and I had no clue. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's the problem. 
Yeah. It, it, they look for what are the non-negotiables, uh, the core values of the organization, and es- especially in sustainability. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you an organization that is going to take care of my future, of my earth? Um, sometimes they overact and overreact, but in general, I think it's a good sign that people are wondering, hey, uh, I'm going to work for an organization like Shell or Exxon or whatever. Hey, guys, I I love to do the work, but what are your core values and what are your intentions with my future? Because I'm here for the next 60 years. You had most of your time. Are you going to take care of my future? And if they get disappointed, they can leave easily. And for 10 years, they couldn't leave. Then they stayed for two or three years, waited for their opportunity. Now they leave immediately. Uh, they are they are walking and they walk out of the door and they will find another job within weeks. So it's not about the money anymore. Um, so you can't say, oh, I'll give you 20% more if you come to work for me. Well, first of all, the colleagues get less. So that can be a conflict. Um, but on the other hand, they are not really interested in the amount of money. They want good money because they are well-trained. Yeah. But they want to know what the purpose is from their work. And and I think that's that's great. I, I love to have that kind of conversation with young people who are really interested. Who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I want to work here? And what can you do to me and other stakeholders to take care of the company, to take care of the world? And that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But difficult, difficult to handle. Very difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we hadn't planned to talk about this, but I've just re- recently, the last couple of days, researching some stuff for, for a blog that I'm writing. And it was quite an interesting article. And I know this is something that divides opinion and you can read one article and it'll say one thing and one it'll read another. But uh, about hybrid and, 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 and remote working now, and, and I'll just give yeah. you a kind of like quick synopsis of what I'd read, which was basically saying that a lot of organizations now are finding that the the kind of you know the convenience thing which was a big thing you know initially and people love that flexibility is now kind of starting to be overcome by loneliness and that finding that that actually mental health problems from people being isolated working at home communication skills issues when people you you know are struggling particularly people who've who've only ever known a a hybrid world and and are struggling to actually be able to articulate themselves in meetings and that sort of thing um and and also saying that workloads have gone up by 40 percent now they're working at home because it's much easier to kind of offload stuff and the assumption is that you know you're that much more productive now you don't have to commute and that isn't always the case so i'm just just be interested to get your thoughts on that and and as i say i don't i think it's one of those things that divides opinion and and i'm not saying that that's necessarily something i agree with but but i'd just be be great to get your take on it paul well i i hear the discussions as well and first of all i think because of covid we had to work from home but it was only 40 percent four zero percent of the employees 60 percent need to be in a workplace so like hospitals schools shops um, taxis that kind of stuff so it is some sort of 
elite group of 40% of employees who could work from home. Yeah. And now they can come back to work and now it's hybrid. And what I see that is missing that we have a good policy. Yeah. So we don't organize hybrid working because if, if people stay at home the whole time and are coming to work four or five hours a week or one day in the two weeks, that's not enough for engagement because we know that belonging is one of the most uh, precious parts of of engagement uh, you need to belong to a group and and it can be online as well but being part of a real group that knows one another that's that's important so you need to organize it and facilitate it with the right instruments and the right software but we are still stuck with zoom and teams and that kind of product which weren't designed for hybrid working. So you need to have other stuff, which is, which is there, um, that you can sit around a table and you see the pictures of the people around that table and you can use material to put on the table and work together. And suddenly hybrid working is still working together uh, but online. So I, I think you need to t- take care. How do we work hybrid? I know a software company in the Netherlands, they have a theater built uh, because the guy loves to, to have big productions. The food is amazing, even for the employees. And you can come to work if you're looking for inspiration, not to work, but to get inspiration. So people can book online, hey, guys, I'm coming in tomorrow morning. Who will be there? This is my question. And people from the whole company will come, not as a team, but just as colleagues, coming in and discuss that item. And they have a sick leave of 1.5%. Right. Excellent. Because they organized hybrid working. So I think a lot of... Banks, insurance companies, those organizations, accountancy used COVID to push people back uh, in their private uh, homes and and see now that it's more difficult to create engagement, belonging, and that kind of stuff. So then I get the mental issues. Um, I, I get it that that you can feel lonely if you can't meet up with your people. Uh, so, yeah, we should organize it. It's part of uh, human being management. Yeah, very good. Very good. I, I agree. I agree. I want to I want to move on, Paul, so, Paul, we've got time just to talk a little bit about what we can do to address this. And this takes us on to some of your work. And and I, I've, got, I've got in my, my notes here the seven keys. And, and um, I'm reliant on you to, to explain what those seven keys are because I didn't actually put any more detail in no. my notes. <laughs> the seven keys. I know, I'm hoping that, that, that I'm, I'm sure that does resonate with you. Yeah, so, of course. Do you want to talk us through what those seven keys are and if there's any yeah. bit that you want to kind of sort of focus on? Well, I I wrote a book and it's still in Dutch, but it 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 will be available in English as well. And it's about profitability 2.0. And mm. I was looking at working from the human side instead of the process side. A lot of organizations have protocols, work in processes, 
organize the processes, scrum about it, that kind of stuff, make it very effective and forget about the human beings. So I was looking worldwide, really worldwide, what will be the difference in human talent management if we look more at human beings instead of process management? And I found seven keys which are dominant, but in my whole research, I found 16, and I will later on uh, specify one of them, which is about stealing. Mm. First of all, attrition. Um, uh, Retention goes up. Attrition goes down with about 40%. So the turnover will be much less if we are much more focused on human beings. Because if you ask people, why are you leaving our company? People will say, I can earn money more money there, or I can go there easy by car. The real reason is that they lack autonomy. They didn't get enough uh, bonding with other people. So we should take care of people by asking, what do you need Mm. to keep working here? So we can increase retention by paying more Interest in human being. As I said, sick leave will go down with about 40 to 60%. Mm. Effectiveness goes up with 25%. So people are much more effective in what they are doing in their work on an item. Productivity goes up with 20%. And I was a little bit disappointed by the number that if you are engaged and you love your work, that productivity only goes up with 20%. And then the CEO told me, he said, well, Paul, that's day six for the pay of five. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way of and looking I, at I it. And I thought, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're right, my friend. And productivity, it's not about pushing people. No, it's what they do from within themselves with their own energy without a manager pushing them to work harder because then quality goes down and the effect goes down. What they saw that people are much more engaged, that sales internally and externally goes up with about 25% as well. Customer satisfaction goes up with 30%. And very important, the number of mistakes and incidents within organization decreases with 50-60%. And Mm. imagine you're lying in a hospital and those people are not engaged and they make mistakes that can kill you. Mm-hmm. So looking at engagement, especially in those kind of organization, will decrease the number of mistakes and incidents that are on the work floor. Mm. I think that's that's amazing. These are the seven keys. Mm. Uh, Gallup is researching those seven every two years. Uh, and and you can see per country how we are doing. If you take Western Europe, we are the same. We have about 15, 16% fully engaged people, 18, 19% fully disengaged people, and the rest, 65% is in between. If you look at the US, 30%, 35% is fully engaged. But 25% is fully disengaged. Those yeah. are the dropouts. And that's terrible as well. So it's not only looking at engagement, but on the other side as well. 
um, the, the number eight that I wanted to say is that um, that was a university in the U.S. research. The number of uh, stealing within organization by their own employees. Right. If engagement is high, it's only a few percent of the people that take something home that is part of the company okay. and is not their belonging. Yeah. If they are disengaged, stealing goes up. Oh, wow. And it's not only money, laptops, that kind of stuff. It's the coffee. It's from the kitchen. It's all kind of stuff, even chairs that leave and people say, oh, where is my chair gone? Well, so you see that motivation, inspiration helps you to stay within the the the, the lines that are, are, uh, of the organization. So we stay within the non-negotiables. And it's it's 16 different items which, uh, which I found. And I was so surprised that nobody ever talks about it. Yeah. Uh, we talk about productivity, uh, and one of my slogans is happiness makes money, but we need to work on happiness first because then success and money will come. And we are still focused a lot on success, hard work, success, earn a lot of money, and then become happy. It's it's now proven it's the other way around. You, we need to focus on human beings first. I was going to ask you, Paul, because the, the seven keys that you, you, you went through were, were, were really helpful. And, and um, obviously, I'm conscious of the limitations of, of audio when it comes to like for people to sort of cap, catch that. Is there, a, and I'll talk to you, well, maybe we'll do what I was going to talk about at the end of the interview now, which is to sort of find out if, we, if we've got any links that we can send. Now, I've got a couple in the show notes. I've got the yeah. uh, your your LinkedIn profile if people want to reach out to you. I've got your website, so Team and Air. Uh, and then obviously you you sent me a link to your YouTube channel as well. Yeah. You? So uh, where's the best place to if people want to find out more about those seven keys and the and the, the extended version of that, the sixteen keys if they want to find out some more about um, that. Well, I, I will put this slide that I have of the seven keys yeah. uh, tonight on on my LinkedIn profile. That would so be, every, be great. Everybody yeah. who goes there can find it. Um, yeah. It's in the YouTube as well. I have okay. a video there on uh, how to increase engagement. That's an animation video, yeah. and it's it's always scary. I explain all of this in ninety seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that's the power of animation. Yeah, it's it's on my own YouTube channel. People can find it easily, and it's in English, um, and 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 that helps and. As a free gift for all the listeners on our teamandare.com uh, website, we have an engagement benchmark tool. Okay. It's a survey that every leader, every manager can use to imagine how high engagement will be. If you fill in your email address, and we're not going to hunt you down, yeah. um, you will get a full report including those seven keys okay excellent okay well uh, yeah we, we i'm gonna put that link into you it's the team under there dot yeah. com yeah yeah we'll put that into the show notes so if people want to uh follow up on that and i'm just having a look at your youtube channel now and and there's a lot of stuff on there a lot very very uh very rich uh, content in there so yeah that that's that's great that's great paul um 
Okay, so I mean, just just wrapping things up. Then, any final sort of thoughts, takeaways, anything that you know, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, "Wow, there's lots to take in there," uh, any kind of quick, you know, I'm always, I know it's it's difficult with something as as complex and as deep rooted as this. But any kind of quick wins or low hanging fruit that that organisations can can kind of grasp, uh, and, or, or someone who's maybe not got a huge budget at this stage, but they're trying to kind of be a lone agent within the organization yeah. trying to get things done what, what what do you what would you recommend to them paul i i think the most important uh, part is paying attention to your employees uh, we call it triple a attention 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 we need to start talking as leaders with our human beings with our employees instead of being busy the whole day going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting uh, saying we have an open door philosophy, but the door is always closed. So for me, leadership is about facilitating your employees and asking the question, and it doesn't cost any money, how can I support you to have fun in your work and in your life? Mm. And sometimes it will cost money, but sometimes it's just a good conversation where you listen to what somebody has to tell you. So that's our most obvious but most difficult thing to do is pay attention to your employees because you will improve um, the autonomy of people because they feel that they are listened to. Their belonging goes up. And if you listen and ask what is your talent and how can I support you, that sea of competences will go up as well. And then you have the A, B, C of engagement field, autonomy, belonging, competences. And just by asking really good and open questions. Excellent. And listening to the responses, I guess. Absolutely. So yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then act on it. And sometimes you just say, whoa, this is serious. Um, give me some time to... to see how I can support you. And then you go to uh, human being management, not HR uh, management. And then you ask, how can we support them? Do we have engagement benefits or a well-being program to support those people? And and you will see it helps. So it's it's not about millions or tons. It's about a couple of hundred pounds per person per year. And if it pays out by four times, then you have 2,000 coming out uh, instead of looking at those 500 pounds that you invest in people. Mm, yeah, and it's seeing it as that investment, isn't it, rather than a cost. So It's, yeah, it's yeah. never cost. Human yeah. beings can't be cost. It's yeah. always investment. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, th thank you so much, Paul. That's been wonderful. And and I think, you know, we, we've had a wide ranging conversation there yeah. and we've explored some some fascinating areas. And I think, you know, I think often we think we're preaching to the choir when we're, we're, we're interviewing and talking about engagement because often I think a lot of the people listening in are, you know, kind of get it already. But I think it's always useful to have some of those metrics reinforced and some of those, you know, the return on investment of in engagement and also, you know, kind of in today's market, thinking about the turnover issues that we're facing. I yeah. think, you know, many organizations are acutely aware of that. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the whole thing around those seven keys that you ran through is a very practical way of, of, of breaking that down into something that's very, yeah. uh, very, very tangible. So I'd like, on the behalf of the listeners, um, 
Paul, I'd like to thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. And as I said uh, earlier in the interview, we're going to put some links in the in the show notes. So if people want to find out more about you, more em- em- embrace some of your your work and your ideas more, then then we'll give them plenty of opportunity to do that through the links in the show notes. So um, so thank you so much, Paul. And thank you, Greg, for having me on your show. It's a pleasure, and uh, you take care, and uh, hope you have a lovely summer in the in the in the Netherlands. There, yeah. Thank you very much. The same for you. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.